You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Hello and welcome to Indian Country News, a half-hour weekly program bringing you news from across Turtle Island and sometimes beyond. This one's being recorded on the 6th of March for the listening week that begins the 7th. Your reader's name is Susan Shiree. First up this week, recent legislative news from the U.S. This comes from Native News Online, written by Darren Thompson, posted on the 3rd. Leaders of Native American Church pressure Biden administration for protections of peyote habitat. Dateline Washington. Leaders of the country's largest intertribal religious organization met this week with federal officials and urged them to uphold Native rights to use peyote in religious ceremonies. On Tuesday, leaders of the Native American Church of North America, NACNA, convened at the Department of the Interior to ask the federal government to uphold its legal responsibilities in enforcing the American Indian Religious Freedom Act, ARFA, of 1978. Signed into law by President Jimmy Carter, ARFA protects the rights of Native Americans to exercise their traditional religions and ensures access to sacred sites and the use and possession of sacred objects. NACNA, which has more than 300,000 members, centers many of its prayer ceremonies around the legal use of peyote as a sacrament. Peyote is a Schedule I substance regulated by the U.S. Drug Enforcement Agency and is illegal for non-Native people to possess. The federal government is not enforcing ERFA and its 1994 amendment, according to NACNA leaders. NACNA leaders are urging the Interior, Agriculture, and Justice Departments to take leadership in protecting the continued use of peyote for enrolled citizens of federally recognized tribes. The group wants the U.S. government to enforce laws that prohibit non-natives from using the drug, but is also asking for federal funding for conservation of peyote and the creation of protected habitats where it can be grown. Peyote is used recreationally by some non-natives, and there have been efforts to decriminalize its use, which NACNA leaders say violate native cultural and ceremonial traditions. Recreational use and promotion of peyote as a medicine could lead to over-harvesting of the plants, say native leaders. This medicine is sacred to us, and people who are not permitted to share its abilities with others outside of our ceremonies are harming our sacred ceremonies. Our way of life is not for sale. ERFA is the only federal legislative statute that protects a specific religion in the United States, that of American Indians, Alaskan Natives, and Native Hawaiians. ERFA was amended in 1994 after the Supreme Court ruled in Oregon Employment Division v. Smith that the use of peyote was prohibited by anyone, Native or non-Native, by the state of Oregon in 1990. ERFA's 94 amendment allowed the possession, transportation, and ingestion of peyote in a bona fide ceremony for enrolled citizens of federally recognized tribes. Rising interest in psychedelic drugs, including peyote, is growing among recreational drug users and wellness providers 
who promote the plant's medicinal properties. That is causing over-harvesting of the plants and because its environment is not protected. The slow-growing cactus, pardon me, cacti, may need further protections, such as congressional legislation in the future, say Native leaders. Because peyote only grows on private lands in southern Texas, Hog, Star, Webb, and Zapata counties, leaders are worried that the plant's environment will continue to diminish and it will be too late. An existing USDA soil conservation program in the region has also contributed to the diminishing habitat of peyote. Because the peyote cacti grows close to the ground, its habitat is being diminished to make way for other crops in the region. According to carbon dating, peyote is more than 10,000 years old. The plant is a slow-growing cacti that takes 8 to 10 years to mature, and its habitat is known by many as the peyote gardens. NACTA is requesting $5 million in federal funding for a new program to be established to be administered by DOI's Office of the Assistant Secretary of Indian Affairs. The project would compensate private landowners for agreeing to convert their lands into protected peyote habitat and would fund activities that focus on the conservation and managed harvest of peyote. Next week, representatives from Indian Country, including NACNA leaders, will testify to the House Appropriations Subcommittee on Interior, Environment, and Related Agencies on a variety of topics, including protections of peyote and its habitat. Next one posted on February 27th and written, just says, by Native News Online staff. Bipartisan legislation reintroduced to solidify tribal trust agreements. In a bipartisan and bicameral move, lawmakers in the U.S. Senate and House of Representatives reintroduced legislation to amend the Act of June 18, 1934, known as the Indian Reorganization Act. This legislation, which has been introduced in every Congress since 2009, would reaffirm the authority of the Secretary of the Interior to take land into trust for Indian tribes and for other purposes, the legislation further removes the uncertainty and ambiguities inherent within the Carcieri versus Salazar opinion, which was issued more than a decade ago when the Supreme Court jeopardized ownership of tribal trust lands. The next one comes from ictnews.org, written by Polly Dennettclaw. A steady, consistent voice within Treasury. An indigenous woman will lead the U.S. Department of Treasury's Office of Tribal and Native Affairs. Dateline, Washington. An indigenous woman will become the first director of the Office of Tribal and Native Affairs at the U.S. Treasury. The Tribal Affairs Office is first of its kind for the department and a permanent fixture. Fatima Abbas Haliwi, me, Haliwa Saponi who was previously interim director of the office, will take over as the permanent director. The office will work closely with indigenous nations to address specific needs identified by tribal leaders and to work with the Treasury Tribal Advisory Committee, which is a seven-member group 
advising Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen on, quote, taxation of Indians, the training of Internal Revenue Service field agents, and the provisions of training and technical assistance to Native American financial officers. The office was initially established in 2022 after Malerba, Mohegan tribe, was sworn in. The seeds of the office were first planted in 2021 with the establishment of a tribal team under the Office of Recovery Programs. The team was created to address the needs of indigenous nations who were recovering from the pandemic. Abbas was instrumental in helping deploy the unprecedented dollars that we saw go to Indian country through the American Recovery Plan Act and through the CARES Act, said Malerba. She was instrumental in helping Treasury understand how to deploy the funds, how tribes can report on those funds, and what the uses could be for those funds to ensure that tribes are able to access them and provide care through their communities during the pandemic. Next comes from the Associated Press via Out There, Colorado, written by Matthew Brown, posted March 4th. U.S. to focus bison restoration on expanding tribal herds. U.S. Interior Secretary Deb Holland says her agency will work to restore more large bison herds to Native American lands. Dateline Denver. U.S. officials will work to restore more large bison herds to Native American lands under a Friday order from Interior Secretary Deb Holland that calls for the government to tap into indigenous knowledge in its efforts to conserve the burly animals that are an icon of the American West. Holland also announced $25 million in federal spending for bison conservation. The money from last year's climate bill will build new herds, transfer more bison from federal to tribal lands, and forge new bison management agreements with tribes, said officials. American bison, also known as buffalo, have bounced back from their near extinction due to a commercial pardon me, extinction due to commercial hunting in the 1800s, but they remain absent from most of the grasslands they once occupied, and many tribes have struggled to restore their deep historical connections to the animals. As many as 60 million bison once roamed North America, moving in vast herds that were central to the culture and survival of numerous Native American groups. They were driven to the brink of extinction more than a century ago when hunters, U.S. troops, and tourists shot them by the thousands to feed a growing commercial market that used bison parts in machinery, fertilizer, and clothing. By 1889, only a few hundred bison remained. Holland, a Laguna Pueblo of New Mexico, is the first Native American to serve in the U.S. as a U.S. Cabinet Secretary, and she's championed tribal concerns on issues ranging from wildlife conservation to energy development, and put a spotlight on past mistreatment of Native Americans through a series of listening sessions about systemic abuses at boarding schools. She told the Associated Press in an interview last year that the decimation of bison by European settlers eliminated the primary food source for many tribes and opened the way for their land to be taken away. The return of bison in some locations is considered a conservation success, 
but Holland said they remain functionally extinct and more work is needed to return the animals to tribal lands and restore the grasslands they depend on. Holland said on Friday, This holistic effort will ensure that this powerful sacred animal is reconnected to its natural habitat and the original stewards who know best how to care for it. When we think about indigenous communities, we must acknowledge that they have spent generations over many centuries observing the seasons, tracking wildlife migration patterns, and fully comprehending our role in the delicate balance of this earth, she added. Across the U.S. from New Mexico, pardon me, from New York to Oklahoma to Alaska, 82 tribes now have more than 20,000 bison in 65 herds. Numbers have been growing in recent years along with the desire among Native Americans to reclaim stewardship of the animals. Many of the tribe's bison came from U.S. agencies, which over the past two decades transferred thousands of the animals to thin government-controlled herds so they don't outgrow the land. The transfers often were carried out in cooperation with the South Dakota-based Intertribal Buffalo Council. The group's director, Troy Heinert, said Holland's order is an acknowledgement of the work tribes have already done. Heinert said, The buffalo has just as long a connection to indigenous people as we have to it. They are not just a number or a commodity. This is returning a relative to its rightful place. Past administrations have proposed or advanced bison conservation plans, including former Presidents George W. Bush, Barack Obama, and Donald Trump, and tribes have long been part of that process. Holland's order puts Native American interests at the center of the Interior Department's bison program. It also adds a tribal leader yet to be named, to a group that's exploring establishing new herds on both tribal and federal lands. Bison reintroductions could put the Biden administration at odds with state officials in Montana. Republican lawmakers have resisted returning the animals to federal lands and opposed some previous bison transfers to tribes. State lawmakers voted Thursday to advance a resolution opposing the reintroduction of bison to the million-acre Charles M. Russell National Wildlife Refuge in northern Montana, an idea that has been floated by the Biden administration and has support among Native Americans. Montana State Senator Mike Lang, who supports the resolution, said, Bison were part of the culture 200, 300 years ago. We aren't going back to that. Lang said he doesn't oppose bison on tribal lands, but added, that as the populations grow, they can cause problems for ranchers and present a public safety threat. About half of the $25 million announced Friday will go to the National Park Service. The remainder will be split among the Bureau of Indian Affairs, Bureau of Land Management, and Fish and Wildlife Service. It includes about $1 million to establish an apprenticeship program that will provide training to tribes for managing bison, including a national parks and national wildlife refuges, oh, pardon me, including at those places. 
The Interior Department currently oversees 11,000 bison in herds on public lands in 12 states. Next, we have some news from the entertainment world. This comes from Native News Online. Darren Thompson posted March 6th. Dateline, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Open casting call for reservation dogs brings thousands to audition. An open casting call for the upcoming season of Reservation Dogs brought thousands of indigenous people to audition at the Park Elementary School in Tulsa, Oklahoma on Saturday. The production hasn't had an open casting call since the first season, where it found several indigenous talents who had no previous acting experience prior to that show, Reservation Dogs. Distance didn't deter many, as people traveled from all over Indian country to audition for a role. Vehicle license plates were from many tribes in Oklahoma, but also out of state, such as Minnesota, North Dakota, Texas, and New Mexico. Entire families reported to Native News Online that they had made, pardon me, that they made an event out of the opportunity to audition. This is my first time casting, said Claudia Littleaxe. Seneca Cayuga from Miami, Oklahoma. I feel really good about this, and I brought my children and my niece along for the experience. Lines to audition spanned more than four city blocks around Park Elementary School, which is located in a residential neighborhood of Tulsa. Food vendors were selling meat pies, a dish that's unique to the state, and Girl Scout cookies. As well, a food truck was set up for operation near the entrance to the school. The production for the show was unable to share details about the upcoming season, but did share how surprised they were at the amount of people who showed up for the casting call. Previous casting calls were held in Montana, Oklahoma, and Canada, where three of the main actors on the show are from. Cheese, who is one of the main characters, is played by Lane Factor, who did not have previous acting experience, according to one of the producers. Nanette Haryo, mother of the hit show's director and writer, Sterling Haryo, said she was thrilled at the turnout. She said, I think seeing the crowd is really exciting, and I didn't expect to see this many people. I'm really proud of my son, and this amazing show gets another season for our indigenous writers and directors. It's been one heck of a ride, and everyone is supporting the show in Tulsa. We feel like we have the whole community behind us. Reservation Dogs is the first television show to be filmed entirely in Oklahoma, and the first to feature all indigenous writers and directors. All of the show's main characters are indigenous. In its first two seasons, the show has been recognized by critics and award programs for outstanding achievements, including a Peabody Award, two Independent Spirit Awards, and nominations for the Critics' Choice Television Awards and the Golden Globes. The production said that they needed multiple positions filled from children at least eight years old to adults. And excerpts from this about another new show, this one written by Levi Rickard for Native News Online, posted February 28th. Walt Disney Pictures released a trailer for its new film, Peter Pan and Wendy, featuring Alyssa Wapanata, Big Stone Cree Nation. In the new live-action update of the 1953 animated classic, Wapanata plays Tiger Lily, 
a warrior princess of Neverland's indigenous tribe and the daughter of the tribe's chief. The filmmakers said they went to great lengths to ensure the authenticity and properly appropriate how the indigenous tribe would what would be depicted pardon me, in Peter Pan and Wendy. They consulted with Don Jackson, Saginaw Chippewa, and Dr. Kevin Lewis, Ministiquan Lake Cree Nation, during the film's development stage and continuing through principal photography and post-production. Wampanoag said the filmmakers were originally, pardon me, originally going to depict another tribe in the film, but as time went on, the movie's director, David Lowry, began to ask her if she wanted to bring Cree history and culture into the film. She said, Once I saw them bringing Cree culture into the film, I thought, this is really everything for me, and it's going to be everything for people to see this. Having Dr. Lewis on set was helpful to the young actress, whose character speaks both English and a dialect of Cree in the film. She said, he was there basically the whole time, and he helped me with the Cree language because I don't speak Cree fluently. I was also able to reach out to my grandmother and my adopted grandfather who helped me with the Cree language. In addition to Upanatak, the uh, background actors seen in Tiger Lily's village, along with her stunt double, were all played by indigenous talent. While the character was inspired by the Cree culture, Tiger Lily and the Neverland tribe are still intended to be the indigenous people of Neverland, not an actual Cree community. Her people's indigeneity to Neverland is reflected in both Tiger Lily's relationships on the island as well as the birch bark tiki, pardon me, birch bark teepees in which they reside. It will be released, Peter Pan and Wendy, on Disney Plus, April 28th this year. And closing with some medical school news. This comes from Native News Online, written by Stacy Thacker, posted March 1st. New UMN Medical School Program, a stepping stone for Native American students. The University of Minnesota Medical School in Duluth received $750,000 funding injection to launch a new program dedicated to recruiting and supporting Native American medical students in the upper Midwest. The funds from the Genentech Innovation Fund will help create and support operations of the Gateways to Medicine and Research Master of Science degree program, which will begin in the fall of 2023. The Genentech Innovation Fund was created in 2019 with the goal of awarding creative solutions to improve equity in healthcare. Dr. Benjamin Clark, Ph.D., a professor at the medical school and a member of the Grand Portage Band of Minnesota Chippewa Tribe, said the Gateways program has been three years in the making. He participated in a steering committee headed by Dr. Pedro Fernandez Funes. Clark said, of incoming students, if they're not ready to enter into doctoral programs or medical school right away, this program helps to prepare them. It's kind of a stepping stone. When reaching out to Native American communities, the number of students interested in medical school is pretty small, and it gets even smaller when you ask if the students have done any preparatory work for medical school, said Clark. With the help of the Gateways program, 
Native students not only get experience, but also receive scholarships to cover the full tuition, as well as cultural and learning support. The Gateways program offers two tracks, a one-year track for medical students interested in health professions and a two-year track for students interested in biomedical sciences. The school also wants to help students build their social credentials and give them a chance to get experience in social service work and community service work. The Gateways program will provide them with these opportunities to shadow physicians and get into the clinic to do some volunteer work, said Clark. Also, they have a chance to build a network with other Native students so that they can have a community, a comfort zone, which is actually very important. Clark says there are so few Native physicians out there in the clinics, and if somebody reports into the clinic with some sort of health issue, it would be nice to drop as many of the cultural barriers as possible. If you come in and see a familiar face, sometimes that makes things a little better, and often they're able to understand the situation the pers- pardon me, the patient may emerge from, which is why Native American representation is important in the classroom as well, not just in the student section, but at the professor podium, said Clark, adding that the program also has the potential to be a channel for future faculty. You want to be able to project a Native perspective to all of the medical students because even the non-Native physician will be interacting with Native patients, and they need to know how to communicate with them, he said. They need to know what are the cultural issues and what might be the challenges that that person might face. The Duluth campus has been training physicians for 50 years with the goal to serve rural populations, both non-Native and Native American. Although the campus ranks second in the nation for graduating Native American physicians, many of those aren't from Minnesota, and the Gateway Program aims to change that. And that brings me to the end of our time for this week. Thank you so much for joining us. This was Indian Country News. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-7777.